0: In your Bible, please, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And this morning, our attention, once again, is at chapter 2. In particular, we will be looking at verses 9 through 11. But I remind you, this is a letter of encouragement. Paul's in prison. It's 61. He's writing to a church that was founded 11 years before. This is a church that he has a special place in his heart for. I ended that with a preposition. It's a church that is very special to the Apostle Paul. The reason? They have partnershiped with him in the spread of the gospel from that very first day, when that church had its foundation in a prayer meeting outside of Philippi. And then added to in prison there in Philippi. They have been faithful in partnershiping with him in the spread of the gospel. And he rejoices in that 19 times. Joy, rejoice. And he exhorts them. He is enjoying this opportunity to connect with them by way of this letter and he reminds them that what's happened to him and to them has been for the furtherance of the gospel and he had great assurance that through their prayers the spirit of God had convinced him he was going to be released but until then he reminds them that for Paul for us to live is Christ and to die is gain he said I'm struggling with those two things because it's far better to be with the Lord and I want to go but for your benefit he's assured me that I'm not only going to stay where I am right now but we're going to be reunited until that happens I'm exhorting you. It's a letter of encouragement, letter of exhortation. Have a conduct in keeping with your calling. Live in the reality of who you now are in Christ, a new creation. And let that be expressed in a unity of mind. You're one in him. Together, have a mind of love for one another, esteeming others better than yourself. A mind, and he could give no greater example, that is the mind of Christ. And I mentioned to you a few minutes ago about, uh, as we were singing The teaching, doctrine is teaching of Christ, Christology. And that teaching of Him is one that allows us to have His mind. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That's the the greatest passage in all of the scriptures so succinctly giving to us the truth of who Christ is and what he's done. Those little verses that we're looking at together. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, verse 5. who being in the form of God, the express image of his essence. He's God. That manifestation of his majesty, he did not consider robbery. He did not consider it that which he needed to hold on to. Let this mind. Be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So being in the form, in the very essence, God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself, he divested himself of that majesty, that magnificence, Of this person. We're going to experience that in the future. But that essence. That he was able to express. Because he is God there with the father. And with the spirit. He set that aside. He was never less God. But the, the majesty of his magnificence. He set aside. did not consider it something to hold on to. Taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross sovereign God who made everything stepped into his creation humbly He, he made it all he's in control of it all but he subjected himself to the humility of identifying with us He took on of a bond servant. The sovereign God became a slave and was there in flesh. The word became flesh, dwelt among us. You see, Jesus was not a man who personified God, he was God in person as a man big difference there are a lot of people who have declared themselves and a lot of people who believe that in their lives they're glorifying god now we're left here for that purpose but he god the son set aside the magnificence of his majesty the very expression of his essence and took on the likeness of sinful flesh. What we see in Jesus is a man. He's a real man. He's God, never. Bless God, but he's God in the flesh, not the personification, the person of God in flesh. It's a man. And in that form, see, it's the likeness of man in this sense. Remember the virgin birth? That's not by accident. He bypasses the sin nature. See, you and I and every man since Adam and Eve were used to bring the human race into existence, brought a human race into existence that carries a sinful nature, not Jesus, bypassed. Spirit of God conceived in Mary. Likeness of sinful flesh. And was obedient. Let this mind be in you. It's a submissive mind. It's a surrendered mind to the will of the Father. And he went to the cross. Sacrificed himself. But now... Therefore, remember the therefore, verse 9. That's where we are this morning. Therefore connects to what was just said with what is about to be said. Connect them up. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus... Every knee should bow of those in heaven, those on earth, those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. A little Greek lesson this morning. Our English translations tell us that at the name of Jesus. And that immediately, for those of us who are at least somewhat proficient in English, understand that to mean that at that name, everyone is going to confess him and bow before him. But that's not what that little preposition Means it's the word "n" in the Greek and the "en" in our English, and that is translated best with the English preposition "in." Now, what's the significance of that? The significance of it is it is not at a point in time. At the name of Jesus, everyone is going to bow before him and confess him. It is in that name. It is. All that that name composes. All that that name encompasses. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess. It's in the magnificence of the name. The name Jesus. And all it encompasses. Come on over to Matthew's Gospel where we're introduced in the New Testament to the name Jesus. Matthew chapter 1, reading for verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make a public example, was minded to put her away privately. for he will save his people from their sin. Jesus, Savior. This is the name that he will carry, Savior. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. This is a fulfillment of, as we've seen in our other studies, the promise that the prophet Isaiah gave to hands. He was looking for deliverance from Syria. And the ten tribes that had come together against Jerusalem. He's the king of Judah. Ten tribes have separated. They've consolidated with Syria. They're besieging Jerusalem. He's in big trouble. Oh, I know how to get out of this. I'll make an alliance with Assyria. And that way we can fight off this alliance of the ten tribes and the Syrians. Isaiah says, hey dummy, God's going to be the deliverer. And since you want to ask him of a sign, I'm going to give you one. A young maiden's going to have a child. And before he grows, the Lord himself is going to bring you deliverance. Emmanuel is going to be with you. And that, what is referenced in Matthew's Gospel. But it's an interesting word that is used in the Hebrew, a young maiden, because this will be a natural child born as one as a sign of God being with them and delivering them, Emmanuel. But in the Greek language, that word virgin means just that. It's not a young maid, Alma. It is in fact, one who has never had a sexual relationship with a man. And so we have the supernatural infusion of God with us in Jesus, his birth. And Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, took to him his wife and did not know her, till she had brought forth her first son. And he called his name. Jesus, flip back to the 27th chapter of Matthew. It's coming to a climax. (laughs) What? The master plan of Messiah, the anointed Christ. Christ. Savior, Jesus. Verse 36, sitting down, they kept watch over him, and they put up over his head the accusation written. This is what he was accused of, the accusation written against him. This is Jesus. And the Writer of the Gospel of John adds to that of Nazareth. So over his head is this accusation. This, no mistaking, is Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Ah, don't write that. Don't don't write write what write he said, I'm the king of the Jews. Pilate said, what I've written, I've written. Pilate is a pawn in the master plan. <laughs> He's the pen that God uses to set forth this truth in humiliation. He's on the cross. He's dying. Who is this? Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. He's a man. Yeah. But he's the God-man. The king of the Jews. But it is a name that he bore in humiliation. Hebrews. Chapter 1. God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets. Now, another little lesson for us in grammar today. In the original writings... The placement of words is very important. And unfortunately here, the placement of the name God is at the very beginning. God, which would place the emphasis on who is speaking. God, in various ways, different times, in the past, has spoken. In the original manuscripts, it states in various ways. Times past, God spoke. In various ways, through the prophets, God spoke. The emphasis is on how God spoke. In various times, various ways, God spoke through the prophets. Here's how he spoke in the past. Here a little, there a little. The prophets gave us a progressive, piecemeal proclamation. But it wasn't perfect. It was, in fact, preparatory. The prophets... Spoken the past, piecemeal, partially, in preparation for the perfect declaration, proclamation of how God has spoken. As in these last days, verse 2, spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory, the expression of his essence, and the express image of his person. He's God in person. And upholding all things by the word of his power, Paul writes to the church at Colossae. That's a letter from that first Roman imprisonment like Philippians. That Christ was the image of God created all things. But he doesn't use the instrumental case. It is true in other scriptures share with us that the Son was the instrument in the beginning God spoke. That was the Son speaking into existence all that is. But Paul gives to us a insight that the instrumental case doesn't give us. It's the locative of spear. What does that mean? That the sun who was the instrument, but more than that, out from within himself, he spoke. He said there was nothing before God. And he was not only the son being used to bring everything into existence, it came out of him. He's God. And all things have been made by him. For him. And unto him. And by him. They all consist. They all fit together. In the past. Various ways. Various times. Through the prophets. God spoke now perfect expression he's the word the defining declaration of all that God is for the son express image of his person upholding all things by the word of his power when he had himself purged our sins this is a personal Redemption purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. I remember when texting first came out, as you all Probably no. I we we don't have any computer in our house. Don't don't have a funny phone. I I can't text you. I I have one of those flip top phones, which I get text from time to time. I don't know how I get this, but but I don't know how. I'm sure I could, but I don't know how to text. Except I remember when you know when texting first came I was people were really into that, and I. I related that the book of Hebrews, this letter, this letter wasn't written by Paul because the writer tells us that what he's writing, he received from the apostles. What Paul writes, he got directly. But, I text everyone Here's the essence of the book of Hebrews Sovereign, Son, Sent, Sin Bear, Seated. That's it. That's the whole letter. Sovereign, Son, Sent, Sin Bear, Seated of Hebrews is now unveiling for us an exalted name, Son. For to which of the angels did He ever say, "You are my Son"? Today I have brought you forth, and that is reference to Psalm chapter two, verse seven, and Paul in the Book of Acts refers to that as the resurrection, the bringing forth of the Son. Not his birth, his resurrection. He's going to speak about his birth next. But you are my Son. Today, I have brought you forth. Brought you. I have begotten you again. He brought him forth as the only brought forth begotten son in the flesh at his birth. But his resurrection is a glorified son that is now on display. I will be to him a father, he shall be to me a son. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, here's reference to his birth. He says, let all the angels of God worship him. He alone is worthy. And the angel to the angels. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angel spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. They're servants. He came as a servant, but he is sovereign. He's a sovereign son. Sent. As our sin bearer. But he's seated now. It's done. But to the son he says, your throne, O God, Almighty, Elohim, sovereign. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness, hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. He's the anointed one. He's the promised one. He's the sent one that they were waiting. Didn't recognize him. But here, writer of Hebrews, you can't miss him. He's come. The sovereign son who was sent became our sin bearer, and he seated as the high priest forever. There's time coming. When the name Jesus, a name of humiliation, be a name of honor. Son, there is so much encompassed in this name of honor. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will grow old like a garment. Like a cloak. And you will fold them up. And they will be changed. Bang! You see that's the real big bang. It comes at the end. Not at the beginning. That's what Peter tells us. Everything that has been made. Is going to be. Brought to a climax. Of catastrophic judgment. And then. New heavens, new earth. But we change. He's going to do that, and he's going to do that with fire and with the loud sound. Peter says, "That's the real big bang. It's yet to come." But you are the same. Your years will not fail. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand? Sovereign, son, sent, sin bearer, seated. Till I make your enemies your footstools. One of the great passages in the scriptures, and we've made reference to the name Jesus being the name of humiliation, the name Son is that which is his honored name through resurrection. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes about this resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. And therefore, since he has been raised, we who are in him will be raised like him. And then... then all things come to an end where he, the Son, who has had all things placed under him in subjection to... See, he submitted himself to the humiliation of death. But he's going to be exalted. Rightly so. And there's a time coming at the end When all things will be subject to Him. And even at that time, the Son will be in subjection to the Father, and they, the Father, the Son, the Spirit, will be all in all. That's yet to come. Revelation chapter 19. Reading for verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called faithful and true. He's the faithful high priest, Hebrews tells us. He is the true, potentate God. 1 John chapter 5. Faithful and true. Here's the exalted name, that name, Jesus, that composes, that encompasses the Son, the one who is faithful and true. Coming back, the climax the master plan of the Christ, the Messiah. And in him, he was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. The fullness, the extent of all that there is in the name of Jesus, he alone understands this was a willful choice before the foundation of the world for God, Father, and Holy Spirit to come together in the council and determine that the Son would step down. That the Son would be humiliated. That the Son who is faithful, true, Ultimately, be exalted. And the significance of this name is so vast, it's going to take us an eternity to even get involved in the magnificence of it. The Bible is alive because it's about. True, the living God, who's alive. And, and my heart's desire for you is that every time you open the Word, you enter into that preciousness of experience, experiencing something of the fullness of the God who is revealing himself there. It's, it's a great privilege that we have. I can't get excited about anything except him. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. The Word became flesh, dwelt among us, beheld his glory. That is the only brought forth of the Father, full of grace and truth. The grace of God, the favor of his personal presence in our behalf, in our lives. That is an eternity of learning to appreciate and experience. We've just begun to taste it. His name is called the Word of God. In the armies. Heaven clothed in fine linen white and clean, followed him on a white horse now out sidebar. My wife uses this verse to convince herself that there are animals in heaven. if not, how's he coming back on a white horse if there aren't so you know I don't know about your animals we buried, but as far as our household an animal heaven, you take it for what it's worth. okay, He's coming back. He's coming back in a horse. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written: King of kings. He is the ruler of all rulers and Lord of Lords. He's the supreme sovereign of all that he has made. Paul says in his letter to Timothy, first Timothy chapter six. Jesus, the Christ, gave a testimony, a witness concerning himself before Pilate. And he is coming back, that one who gave that witness before Pilate. And he's coming back as the only potentate. Lord of lords. King of kings. Things are bad? Yeah. Trust me. The redeemed, we can't even begin to imagine how good it is yet to be. Well, I'm not done, but we are. Because there is, of course, the significance of that which is revealed in Revelation. Chapter 20, Alpha and Omega, the beginning, the end, the old and all. The name, the Lamb, the throne of the Lamb. Revelation chapter 5, worthy is the Lamb to receive honor, praise, power, forever and ever. We're going to sing that with all of the hosts of the redeemed. And every tongue and every name will acknowledge, will bow before him. He's given a name. And in, 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 that name of Jesus, the Son, faithful, and true, in the Word, in the King of Kings, in the Alpha and Omega, in the Lamb. He will be eternally praised. Thank you, Father, for these moments together. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. And we are overwhelmed. We are going to bear your name on our foreheads. The Lord God's. We belong to him. And we For eternity. We'll give praise. Honor. And thanksgiving. Amen.